It takes more than accidentally writing a sorting algorithm to be a great software engineer. This is episode 275 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I am your host, Jameson Dance. I'm your host, Dave Smith. Soft Skills Engineering is your weekly advice show where we talk about all the non-technical things that go into the technical field of software development. And we don't talk about any of the technical things like sorting algorithms. Never. So we won't. Oh man, I just, I want to so bad though. <laughs> Resist. <laughs> have you heard about Bogo Sort? <laughs> no, I have, and it's ruined. <laughs> Start the show over. <laughs> okay, I won't tell you about it then. But we can't start it over in order because that would involve sorting of some kind. <laughs> not only do we not talk about technical things, we don't do any technical things. Yeah. Which makes it, let me just tell you, it makes it really hard to use this computer every week to record this show. Yeah. Well, there's just a, it's like a series of, is it abacus? Are those the things with the little beads on the rods that you slide around? Yes, but what is the plural of that word? Because I... (laughs) Abacai? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. (laughs) Abacusin. Like boxin. (laughs) Abacoxin? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Who knows? It's not knowable. That's not what this show's about. Yeah, okay. You want to thank our our tremendous sponsor, Dave? Yes, this episode is sponsored by Hired, the best way for engineers to find their next job. You'll hear more about Hired later on. This episode and all of the episodes are also supported by our fantastic patrons. Thank you so much to the folks that we shout out every single week. Thank you to Ian Walter, Arun Duna, Kashokton, Ohio. This is Dobby, patron.com.au. We're hiring Ira Chan, Monkeyface Emoji, Jonathan King, testingisdocumenting.org, Roman Denisov, Trans Rights, Fizzbuzz Influencer, Oladapo Fadier, Kiaran Sveinsen, Will Angel, Ragnar Harrison, Window.Alert, Open Parens, Double Quote, You've Been Pwned, Double Quote, Close Parens, Nick Hathaway, <laughs> Travis Sanders, Dennis Bogdanov, Braden Keynes, John Grant, Taras Haruk, Nick Kantar, Philip John Basile, and Bites of Wisdom with a Y. If you would like to join this group, you can go to softskills.audio and click support us on Patreon. And if you do, the the joy in my heart will increase proportionally to the dollar amount that you contribute. But also, the show will keep going. Uh, we use the the Patreon funds to fund the editing and, and the... What else does it fund? The endless supply of cashews that Dave demands to do his job. <laughs> it's true. Uh... You know, did you hear about the like the Van Halen writer with only brown M&Ms? Yes. Dave's writer is uh, a bathtub full of cashews. That's right. This makes the editing a lot more expensive because they have to edit out all the crunching sounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but without it, we wouldn't have this show. So yeah, we <laughs> so we do this. it. We just have to. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much to those folks who have contributed. And if you do, you get to join our wonderful Slack community. That's true. Dave, do you want to read our first question? I do. This comes from an anonymous listener who says, I'm a developer responsible for hiring other developers for my company. I'm comfortable interviewing and I feel like I can get a good grasp on whether the tech on whether the interviewee is technically competent. My boss wants to give us a take-home technical test. Sorry, wants us to give a take-home technical test to people after the first interview if we're happy with how they interviewed and want to proceed further. The current technical test is time boxed and is designed to represent the work they would do at our company. I worry that we ask for too many requirements within the current time constraint of two hours, but asking for more time will put people off completely. What can we do to make sure the technical test is fair and a good experience for candidates? Hmm. Nothing. 
I have <laughs> talked about this before and we'll talk about it again, but any decision you make in an interview process will just automatically exclude some group of people who will not, their, their, their real job performance will not reflect well in this fake mm. test that you're giving people. It's not a fake test, it's a real test. Well, <laughs> the real test to do fake work, yeah. <laughs> to try to figure out if they would be good at real work. There you go. Yeah, this this is a tricky problem because you're trying to abstract and everyone knows abstractions are hard, especially developers. You're trying to, to look at a short sample and figure out what their extrapolated years of work history or, or work performance will be like based on that sample. Well, I will say that 20 years of software development experience has taught me that creating bad abstractions is very easy. You said it was hard, but I disagree. Well, a lot of companies make a lot of money from bad abstractions too. So <laughs> Easy and profitable. Yeah. Can What can I do to make sure it's fair and is a good experience for candidates? So I, I think your instincts here of making the interview try to judge what the work making the interview reflect what work would be like is is solid. There was this trend for a while about asking these esoteric brain teaser questions mm -hmm. to just judge how how quick someone was with the idea that people who do well on these random non-work related but challenging problems will be better workers. And the the infallible data source in my head says that that was untrue. I have no sources or citations for it besides that, but I'm pretty listen, sure... Listen, Jameson, my ability to conceive of a plan to get across a deadly chasm with a bridge that requires me to carry a torch across, and there's seven people that must cross, and I can only carry that torch three times, is directly related to my ability to be a good software engineer. I, no joke, legitimately failed an interview with that exact question. No way! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, not that it, it was some form of torch and people unlimited oh times and yeah. yeah, and I just I just stared at the board and scribbled a few times and, <laughs> and then walked away. <laughs> it was just an awkward 45 minutes. Can you please excuse me? I need to use the restroom and then run out the parking lot and <laughs> run away. Zoom. <laughs> that's if I was smarter or more self-assured, that's what I would have done. But uh instead you came back for more. <laughs> I and I I would like to think that I am now smarter and more self-assured and would say, hey, I can do a good job at programming. I cannot do a good job at this bogus interview question. Can we like, test me on my work skills? And if not, then it's probably not a good fit. But I still feel like there's some part of me that's like, it just wants to make people happy so deeply yes. that I would never, as soon as they ask me the question... <laughs> My worldview shifts to like, yes. oh, this is a this is a valid judgment of how yeah. good I am at the job, and I have to prove them right or wrong or whatever. Yes, because they asked me to. Therefore, yeah, they asked me to. So, yeah, therefore, I must <laughs> I must demonstrate capability at it, or I have failed. Uh, oh my gosh. Well, anyways, this is better than yeah. A take home test is better than that. Uh, okay, but... imagine a take home test where you're solving a brain teaser. <laughs> <laughs> The take-home test is count how many manholes can stack on top of each other to reach the height of Mount Everest. <laughs> I'm just imagining people literally doing this. <laughs> I decided to be data-driven. <laughs> I went out and collected 17 manholes. That's all I could find in my neighborhood. Yeah. <sighs> the current technical test is time. So it seems like the concern is that the test 
although it's time box, which is a great first step, right? I've seen untime box tests, and those can be very stressful and exclude people who don't have unlimited time to devote mm-hmm. to an interview. So time box, that's a good first step, but the requirements are are many and probably don't fit in the time box. That's the vibe yeah. I'm getting from this question. I think there are conflicting requirements here. I think that you can't have a test that represents the work you do and have a reasonable time box. Because when was the last time that you pulled a ticket out of Jira and got it done in like two hours end to end finished? You know, like these things take time, take more time than that, I think. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, just just saying, hey, here's this problem, solve it in a way that proves how great you are. But by the way, don't take more than two hours because we don't want you to waste your time. Right. Doesn't make that conflict go away of, of... but it takes me time to show the quality of work I can do. Right. Hmm. How do we make sure the technical test is fair and a good experience for candidates? One simple thing you should do, though not easy, is administer the test to your current employees. If oh. you are serious about using this to evaluate candidate skill, <laughs> you should be able to tell if it would identify people who you know a lot more about that as as quality candidates and be, right? like if you know someone's a fantastic <laughs> developer and you give them this test and they bomb it then uh you would have missed them and be prepared for the opposite situation where you're gonna have to fire someone <laughs> boy you really delivered that critical business initiative but we realized that this two-hour test showed we made a mistake seven years ago and <laughs> sorry you're out <laughs> You haven't met our high hiring bar. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And you might say, well, that takes a ton of time. Like, I don't want to just pull all my developers off of working on stuff to give them this dumb test and fake work. And guess what? Now you have some insight into what the person who you're asking to do the test is thinking too. Yeah. And you'll probably give this test to, I don't know, if you're going to hire five people, you'll probably give it to 20 or 30 people. So think of all that time. Yeah. It it sounds to me, Jameson, like you're coming down pretty hard on the uh, on the side of the fence where there is no test that can satisfy these requirements. Am I reading you right? I don't think there's an objective test. I mean, you can probably tweak things to make it friendlier to some people or or expand the breadth of of skills it would recognize, but you're gonna just again, you're you're abstracting, so you're gonna miss somebody. You're gonna yeah either let someone through that would not do a good job at work or screen someone out that would do a good job. Yeah. I don't know why. That just fills me with sad feelings. I feel yeah. like I want it to be perfect. I want it to be perfectly precise and accurate, and it won't be. Let us know when you figure that one out, though. There's a bunch of money in that. Yeah. <laughs> can perfectly predict job performance. I mean, there is a good way to perfectly predict job performance. Well, not perfectly. I don't know if it's precisely or accurately, but there is a way. Uh, what's the difference between those two? Which one is the one where you never make any bad hires? Is that precise or accurate? Uh, that would be accurate, but I think you're talking about uh, biasing towards no false positives, avoiding false positives. Yes. And embracing false that, negatives. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the default where you just, any hint of anything that isn't an overwhelming positive signal, you just say, heck no. And then you miss out on a ton of good people, but convince yourself that it's worth it. I think that's kind of the state of a lot of hiring in the tech industry right now. So you want to hear my take? Yep. I mean, I I think that's why you invited me today. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I thought you invited me. Oh, wait, who's in charge here? <laughs> I didn't bring any snacks. <laughs> That's oh, man. the host's job. Interview tests. I've done these so many ways. I've done everything from, I'll just like enumerate all the ways I've seen this done. Whiteboard code with a live audience. Painful. In office tests without a time limit. Painful. Take-home tests for work that's representative, you know, that takes many hours. Painful. And what I've landed on... But you don't see the pain. Is it painful for you? Yes. No, it's not. It's only painful for others. I mean, that's the definition of interviewing. (laughs) Asymmetric pain. And what I have landed on is a take-home test that I limit to 60 to 90 minutes that is not exactly representative of the work that our engineers do every day. It is a choose-your-own-language. In fact, I had someone do one in Bash recently, which was amazing. I've never seen this one ever attempted in Bash after I've probably given this test to about, I don't know, well over 300 people. But I I have to make it fun, small, and have multiple solutions. When you do that, I think, and and it has to be pretty predictive. Like it has, you have to look back and say, did this test result actually predict people who did well in the job? And I think if you can do that combination of fun, small, and multiple solutions, you can do pretty good. In my experience, giving someone a problem that is similar to the problems you solve on your team every day, but is small enough to not be a burdensome take-home test, will not give you a good read on the person because it is by definition tiny. And and you didn't you don't want to hire this person to do tiny little things like change the color of this button or you know rearrange this UI or something. So anyway, huh. that that's kind of my my thing. I've been doing that for a couple hundred couple hundred uh, candidates over the last five years or so. And I, I kind of like it. When you say multiple solutions, can you talk a little bit more about that? What do you mean? Yeah. So like for, for a couple of years, I did a coding challenge where you had to validate that a Sudoku board was a valid solution. And there's not a lot of creative ways to do that. <laughs> you know, you pretty much just kind of walk through all the rows and all the columns and see if all the numbers are there and, and they're unique. And so it wasn't a good way to see how the candidate thinks about writing code. Now I use a different problem, which I'm not going to reveal. <laughs> <laughs> it's the unobtainium tier of yeah. <laughs> sponsor of a uh, Patreon support. Which, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the retirement tier. Um, <laughs> anyway, it it has like five or six totally valid solutions, and they're all interesting. And they all have different, slightly different trade-offs and things to think about and talk about, which makes it really fun, in my experience. There you go. That's my take on it. I, I love that you said it should be language agnostic. I think that's super important. You probably write code at work in a specific language, but you sure haven't cornered the market on... That language has not cornered the market on smart people who can yeah. do good work. Bingo, for sure. Uh, do you have any kind of rubric? You said you, you mentioned kind of talking through design decisions. Um, so, so there's some amount of just kind of looking at the solution and, and yeah. thinking about if you like it or not. If I if I understand right, do you have any sort of checklist of does it meet these criteria? Does does it score this way on these certain axes or something? One of the reasons I make the problem simple and small is so that you can quickly assess whether the problem meets the requirements. And it's this particular problem, it's very easy to not meet the requirements, uh, but but still produce correct, or, you know, semi-correct results. 
And so, you know, it, it tells me about people's ability to handle edge cases, people's understanding of runtime speeds, you know, like what's a super slow way to do something and a super fast way to do something. Okay. So I can really quickly look at it. But I also ask them to write a paragraph about their solution so they can I can kind of see how they talk about their code. Because so often, like we're doing PR reviews mm-hmm. or we're chatting like with each other about different approaches, uh, especially in a remote world, we need people to be pretty good at writing about code. And so I, I read those yeah. along with it. And it's like, oh, if I get a really clear idea of what they were doing from their writing, then that's a plus one. I don't think I did this deliberately to judge writing, but I did ask people to include a readme for how to run their project and and kind of briefly talk about design decisions they've made. And that has been pretty high signal for meaning that people who write good readmes tend to uh, do well on the job if we hire them. Mm-hmm. Well, I like it. You've convinced me. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> I want to raise a caveat. That's not the word. Nuance? I want to throw a wrench in things. Oh, yeah. There you go. So I've heard more and more. Man, it's Saturday. We're off a day <laughs> and I'm sick. <laughs> and normally I word real good and today I word bad. <laughs> accommodations, interview accommodations. Oh, uh, there you go. Okay. So uh, some people might have a hard time finding time outside of work to do stuff. What do you think yeah. about the idea of saying either you can do this time box test on your own time or come in an interview and if you haven't done that that technical exam beforehand we'll set aside a block of time in some time in your interview period for you to just do it then that way you don't have to like you you can kind of like schedule it into your interview process instead yeah. of having to squeeze it into the rest of your day it doesn't make the time go away but it makes it so that you don't have to like I don't know, find time while you're doing childcare or 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 right. traveling or whatever else you do in your non-work time you know yeah, because I mean, the fact is just to get another job, it's going to take time away from your current job regardless, right? There's no way of solving that yep. problem completely. So if you can minimize that and compress it down. Yeah, I love that. And, and I've done that a few times where people say, I want to do it this other way. And I'm like, no problem. As long as I can get the data points I'm looking for, we can do it. Yeah. Well, you made it sound so easy. And I can't wait till the show's over and I can ask you what the test is and then shamelessly steal it. Yeah. <laughs> This is, I'll, I'll, I'll sell it to you. I mean, be inspired by it. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, does that answer that question? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Jameson, have you heard about the Great Resignation? Is it that Charles Dickens book? (laughs) Wait, no. The entire population on Earth has started taking our advice of quit your job. Oh, yes, that's right. Apparently, we have achieved influencer status. We've been telling developers for years to quit their jobs, and now we want to tell you how to do it. We're ready to reveal the secret. I mean, you don't just walk out shooting finger guns. (laughs) yes well you do that first but after you do that there's a new service we want to tell you about called hired what is hired dave hired is the biggest ai driven marketplace that matches engineers with companies it is a great way to find your next job i've been watching this industry for 20 years with a keen interest on hiring in particular and i've never seen anything like hired tell me about what you're seeing so i've interviewed about 150 people in the last year And I am serious, every candidate that's come to me through Hired has multiple offers, and they're incredibly high, scary high, like 30% higher than other candidates. Is that before or after the finger guns? (laughs) Yeah, uh, both. (laughs) (laughs) The beauty is, it's totally free for engineers, uh, and we would love for you to go try it. Go to Hired.com slash softskills to check it out. Hired.com slash softskills, quit your job the best way, and check out Hired. All right. Would you like to read our next one? I certainly would. Hello, Dave and Jameson. I am a team lead at a rapidly expanding company. 
We have been trying to fill open headcounts greater than four for over a year now, and our team is also handed some very important and promising projects. Because of that, even more open headcounts are coming for our team. Recently, in our one-on-one, I was pressing my manager to fill the openings as soon as possible, but he told me our company recruiters are so busy that our team doesn't have any dedicated recruiters, and my manager has been sourcing candidates himself for almost a year now. I was surprised by that and offered to help. I had read some materials from the recruiting team, got the tools set up, and ready to cold email people I found on LinkedIn. My question is, how do I approach them in an authentic manner? I am proud of my company and our products, but how do I reach out to them without letting them know my primary motivation is to get more team members to do the work so I can get more sleep? (laughs) On the other side of the table, I feel those recruiting emails are cold and a waste of my time. So looking at the funnel I built, I don't know if I can bring myself to start spamming others' inboxes. Wow, it sounds like this person has a soul, not willing to be a spammer. (laughs) (laughs) For now... (laughs) until you hear what we're about to say next. (laughs) Yeah. How much money does it cost for a recruiter? I feel like, I don't know how much recruiter salaries are, especially in-house. I I know how the model works when it's um, external and you pay a percentage of of Mm -hmm. the candidate's salary or the employee's salary. Yeah. I suspect that you are an expensive and unskilled recruiter if you're a developer (laughs) by trade. That's a great way to put it. So I admire your gumption at just yeah. rolling your sleeves up and trying to tackle this. But this is probably not the best use of your company's money. However, it might be okay in the short term if, if I don't know, maybe the overall cost to hire on more recruiters and then spin them up and then get them allocated to your team is going to be even more than the cost of you not writing software, but yeah. figuring out how to recruit. And what's the cost of, what's the opportunity cost of having four unfilled engineering positions for a year? Yeah. Surely that's very high. Yeah. You should pitch your company on the consultant model, right? If you fill these positions from sources that you provide, then that's rightfully some of your salary, right? Yeah. You should get a fee. I mean, I guess they're referral bonuses, right? Yeah, maybe. That is sort of that type of thing. I So my current job, I work at a, a small software company and I was introduced to this company via a cold email from a recruiter. Ah. So it can work. Yeah, it totally can. It Once. It worked at least once in my yeah. personal experience. Therefore, it can work again. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think they're all that bad. I think I had something flagged on my profile saying I was maybe open to new opportunities. So I got a bunch of stuff flooding in and would just filter through it all. And this one just seemed nice. So I replied. Yes. And you know... On my uh, last company, the recruiting team actually came to the engineers and said, hey, would you please write these emails instead of us? Because we've found that when engineers write these messages, they get better response rates than when recruiters write them. And so I I think one of the comments I'm reading in this question is, I'm worried that I'm not going to feel authentic or that I'm just kind of, you know, trying to sell these people on something wrong. But the fact of the matter is, I think people like it better when their peer engineers reach out to them. Also, the bar is low for authenticity, right? If if, if you write a pretty inauthentic engineer-to-engineer cold email, it's probably not going to say, hey, do you want to move across the country 
to work in Java because I see you have a bunch of JavaScript experience. <laughs> and by the way, this is a four-month contract. Right. <laughs> Uproot your life. Take maybe a pay cut. Also, do you know any friends that want this opportunity if you don't? <laughs> that's the bar. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the authenticity average or median that you've got yeah. to, to compare against. <laughs> that's so true. So for what it's worth, I've written these messages on LinkedIn Recruiter and spammed them out to people. And I got a lot of good responses. And what I tend to do is I write the story of why I chose to join this company and why I stay. And what I found is that people really like that. They're like, oh, well, that's cool. You know, and, and you should be unsurprised to learn that the things that attract you as an engineer to a company will probably be attractive to other engineers. And sometimes mm. it's hard for recruiters to verbalize that. You know, they, they talk about the things that they can see, but sometimes, you know, and those things that they can see are often the superficial things like the, the pay, you know, the benefits and time off policy and stuff like that. But you as an engineer can say, look, I got to, you know, I'll just tell you when I was working in my previous company, I said, look, I'm working on one of the world's biggest voice assistants. And uh, I got to work on a unique problem in that domain that I don't think very many other people got to work on. And so that attracted me, you know, and so I, I used that and people responded very positively and they wanted to talk to me about it. Hmm. And so it can be pretty effective. And so I would, I would not worry about feeling inauthentic. Yeah. How do I approach them in an authentic manner? I'm proud of my company and our products. How do I reach out to them without letting them know my primary motivation is to get more team members to do the work so I can get more sleep? Yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder how you can tell them that. that would come across. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You could just say, hey, like this is the products are awesome. Uh, our company is great. I just need more help so I can sleep more. I feel like that would be... That would be pretty awesome. <laughs> that, yeah, there might be a, a, a hint of work-life balance concerns if I saw an email like that. But also, it, I feel like it would come across as fairly authentic. I, in my experience, recruiting, authenticity is important. And I think people really appreciate it, even when you're transparent about the problems you have. And if you say, look, one of our problems is work-life balance, you know... They, you got to be careful because you are selling at the same time. But if you say these are one of the problems we're trying to solve by hiring and changing the way we work, you might be surprised yeah. at how good people are or how well they would respond to that. Yeah, I was just talking with you about this before the show, Dave, that there's there's a comforting feeling I get when I start a new job and then I find out what the problems are, where before I, I think it's too quiet. Yeah. It's like that scene in a horror movie where you're about to get ambushed or something. But now... Yep. I realize, okay, this is a normal place. There are some problems. There are great things, which is why I came here. But also, like, I, I'm i not going to be ambushed by by something horrible popping out at me because I, I know kind of where the issues are. So yeah. I have not worked at a place yet that doesn't have any areas of, of concern or, or problem areas. So in a way, uh, pointing that out ahead of time is is helpful to people who think about work that way. Yeah. Maybe maybe I'm just not enlightened. Maybe I just haven't worked at the right place yet, though. The place with yeah. no problems. Yeah, that's it. One day you'll find the perfect employer who doesn't even need you. <laughs> but they like you. That's why you're there. Yeah, exactly. We just want to pay you. We like having you around, and we don't have any problems for you to solve. So looking at the funnel I built, the good news is you can take advantage of the tragedy of the commons here, right? Where email is a commons. Okay. It doesn't cost you very much to send another spam email to someone's inbox. It just makes email overall crappier. 
But that means that if you send another spam email, no one's going to be like, that's it. Email was fine. And then I got this one cold email from an engineer. <laughs> it's ruined. And now I can't take it anymore. And I blame it all on this person. Yeah. So don't worry about it. It's already ruined. You're not going to ruin it anymore. It's not going to get worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, that, that grassland has already been grazed to, to death. Yes. It's just dirt now. Yep. Scorched. You're not going to make it worse. Oh, oh, I have one more idea. So like Jameson said, you are probably an unskilled recruiter. You're probably bad at sourcing and you're, you might be, you, you said you're good at assessing talent, which is great. Oh wait, that was a previous lis- listener. Sorry. You probably are, <laughs> <laughs> but you're probably terrible at sourcing. You probably have no idea what the conversion rates are, what a funnel looks like and strategies for going out and finding people who are looking, you know, you're, you're probably going to be throwing darts at a dartboard and missing a lot of the time. This is where headhunters come in. If your company is willing to spend 15 to 20% of a first year salary to pay a headhunter per hire, you can find really good candidates through headhunters and they can be targeted to find the people that you want because they're super incentivized to bring people to you that will turn into a hire because they're only paid if you make the hire and keep them for some amount of time. So, mm-hmm. so I would recommend going out and looking for headhunters who can be independent and get your company to sign a contract with them and then So headhunt the headhunter. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> That's, I guess that Got just it. kicks the can down the road. I'm bad yeah. at sourcing candidates, but maybe I'll be good at sourcing headhunters who source candidates. I don't know. Yeah. That is a good point about funnels and conversion rates. And, and that's that's some very job-specific skills. That Your skill is being able to talk authentically with engineers. So ideally, yeah. you'd be able to partner with someone who can handle all the other stuff of like interview scheduling and and screening and and identifying if your conversion rates are good or not and yep. targeting and all that stuff. But if if you can just find a partner and say, "Hey, I'm happy to write some emails or do some LinkedIn searches and just right. and and send these emails out." I feel like instead of you taking on the recruiting process end to end, that still might help you Agreed. provide some benefit without you like you you put your efforts in the most effective parts. Agree. You you write the material that only an engineer can write. You write the you know the heartfelt reasons why you like this job. You can help write job descriptions that that can be attractive to other candidates because you know they're attractive to you. And then let someone else handle all the other stuff. You can take out all the gross stuff that sneaks into the job yes. descriptions about like <laughs> kill crush moon scale and yeah. <laughs> Slip in a salary range. Yeah. Some places legally <laughs> require you to do that, actually, I found out. But uh, oh. I found it very effective to include salary ranges. And I have not often asked for permission before doing it. Mm-hmm. And it works great. Be careful with that one, though, because you might end up letting one of your coworkers know that they are drastically underpaid. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Which would be good for them. <laughs> in the long run, yes, it would be good for them. If you If you have salary... Is that the right term? I don't know. If, if you don't have any salary time bombs ticking, then that's a good thing to, to just do on your own. And it's a good way to find out if you have any. <laughs> it's a very easy way to find out if you have a time bomb when it blows up. Yep. Crystal clear. It's like in Minesweeper. Yeah. There's one way to find the bombs, which is just click wildly until yeah. <laughs> found the it. screen explodes. <laughs> yep. I did it. Solved it. Found one. There's, yep. There's a bomb there. That's a new speed record. <laughs> yeah that's a good point i guess i'm looking at that through the viewpoint of a manager where i i know the salary ranges i should give more context on that i did not know the official salary ranges we could offer people i knew the salary ranges of people on the team 
And so I could kind of just fudge that a little bit into a vague range. And then I put like dependent on experience and location, which gives enough cover that, that I was very confident that nobody would be astonished in a bad way if, if uh, the number was not what they expected. But probably better to do that officially if you can. In other words, leave it to the professionals. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, they, they're busy. That's true. I, that true. I sympathize with this so much because I've been in the situation where there there's no support at all from any kind of recruiter. Any sourcing or hiring is 100% on the engineers and engineering managers. And it's a lot of work to do well. And you usually have a lot of other work to do well also. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a tough situation. Which is why I love the the solution that Dave you talked me into proposing, which is you you give some help but you don't take responsibility. You help your manager with sourcing, but you don't say I will find, interview, close, and and sign all these candidates. You Can you imagine if, if this person shows up to his manager to the manager and says, "All right, I've made three offers. They've been accepted in writing. Here they are." <laughs> <laughs> One like, of them negotiated what? pretty hard, and yeah, but uh, I beat him. So you'll see. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's a few. We're gonna have to give up a few percentage points of equity to yep. them. <laughs> so please call the board. Yep. <laughs> Do but it. They signed already. Don't worry. This is extreme ownership. It's, it's a good thing. There's a whole book about extreme. It. <laughs> Extreme ownership is taking some of that equity and giving it to yourself, too, for doing such a good job hiring. <laughs> I'm an owner. Listen, just 5% yeah, no problem. of the company to bring on these three candidates and for my troubles. In right. Them. <laughs> All right. Okay. I think our question is answered. What can people do if they want their own questions answered? Go to our website at softskills.audio and click ask a question. And we want to say thank you to all the people who do that every week. We really appreciate all your questions. And we promise they will all be answered one way or another. We leave this legacy to our descendants or whoever (laughs) inherits the podcast after we go. If if the questions keep coming in. Yes. A legacy and a burden. You're welcome. (laughs) Aren't all legacies burdens? Yeah, that's, that's so deep. We better end now. (laughs) Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.